What fresh hell is this? Mommy! Where are my damn glasses? Alicia, it's your mother. When you get a chance, give me a call, please. Thank you. Has anybody seen my phone? Mom! Mom! Honey! Oh, shit. I think something's burning in the kitchen. Where are my damn glasses? Mama! Alicia, I just hung up with producers. They loved your read. They said you owned the room. Great job, sweetheart. But they're going in another direction. Which direction? Away from you. Mom, never mind. Oh, great. Found my glasses. Hello, I'm Alicia Coppola. I'm an actress, an author of Gracefully Gone on Amazon, hard copy and Kindle, shameless plug. Wife, mother of three kids, chef, laundress, maid, vacuumer of copious amounts of dog hair. But who I really am is a bootstrap bitch. I have pulled myself up by my bootstraps more times than I can count. Like most of my guests that you'll hear from on this podcast, I haven't always had it easy. Everyone has a story. Some of my guests are famous. Some are just famous in their own homes. Some are getting through or have gotten through major life ordeals, and others are just trying to make it through Monday. All of their transformational journeys are inspiring, aspiring, and courageous. We who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps don't bitch. We do. Welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. Okay, today on Bootstrap Bitch, I have one of the OGs. The OGs of bootstrap bitching, who doesn't bitch, but she just does and keeps on going, going, going. You will know her from, oh my God, what won't you know her from? Law and Order, Spin City, Summer of Sam, Crash, SVU, Rescue Me, Blue Bloods. She is a best selling author of Jennifer's Way. She launched a bakery in 2013. She is quite possibly one of those trifecta women that you can only hope to one day be one-fifth of. So here is my new friend, but feel like she's my old friend, Miss Jennifer Esposito. My God, I new friend, you're my sister now. Yes. What a beautiful intro. Honestly, when you came on the screen and the fact that you're in your closet and I see the like leopard print behind you in your shoes, it's fantastic. I really think you need to start filming from your closet. Like it's hysterical and it's honestly so many people can relate, especially now. Well, everybody wants to hide in the closet. Everybody's hiding. And you know, I'm a girl from New York because of the leopard and the gold stripper shoes in the back. So I see you, it. I love it. Yeah, you can tell. Awesome. You, can tell. You, you can take the girl out of Long Island, but you can't take the Long Island out of the girl. Hilarious. That's what they used to say about me from Brooklyn. Now, where were you born in Brooklyn? I was born in Bensonhurst and I was there for uh, probably until I was like second or third grade and then moved to Staten Island, which <laughs> it's horrible. People always get at me like, why are you abusing Staten Island? It's like, well, because I can. It abused the shit out of me. And it was it was hard. It was hard, very hard there for me uh, for a lot of different reasons. But, um, you know, I left when I was 18 and moved to the city. So my father was born and raised in Bensonhurst. Oh. And then his family moved out to Centerport mm -hmm. and then met my mother um, there in Huntington. Uh, she lived, if you, you know Long Island, right? Yes. So you know the Vanderbilt Museum. Yeah, yeah. So my mother lived in the estate across. So I, so I was raised there. And your birthday is April 11th, mine's April 12th. 
Oh my God. Yep. Only That's I'm I got a couple years on you. It's, hey, it, it's all relative. After the age of like 30, it's all the same. So, and all my cousins grew up in Staten Island on Toad Hill. Oh my God. My, I have my cousin on Toad Hill as well. Yeah, they all grew up there. I That's had to where... know them. I had to know them. My God, I had I'm to. Sure you did. I'm sure you did. I'm going to go to school. I can actually tell you this because my cousin, I asked my cousin if he knew you and he's a little older than you too, but he said, you went to, you went to more Catholic? Yes. He went to Monsignor Farrell? Yes. Yes. So I know this. And this is me and my cousins from oh, Staten my. Island's wedding. You understand I could have been in that bridal party in one of those blue taffeta, amazing satin mixed dresses. They don't do that like that anymore. No, they do not. That's no. hilarious. Everything, That's fantastic. Everything is too fucking tasteful now. I know, it's so true. Honestly, I'm so glad we didn't grow up at, in this time. I remember, I look at pictures like back in the day when we were first starting to go to premieres. I was like, I don't know what I had on. I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have hair and makeup too. I still, I, I have to say this one thing and it shows I've never had hair and makeup or stylist throughout my whole career. It's not what I, I didn't know from that. I had, I had no idea. And now it's like, it's, it's a whole different game. It's a whole different game. It absolutely is. We're, we're just of a time. We're just of a different, um, I like to say we're, well, you're still there in New York, but I feel like when, when we came up in New York, New York was not a place, but it was a time. Totally. I completely agree. I love, where are you now? Are you in Los Angeles? Yes, I'm in, yes, I'm in LA. How long? I came out here in, I want to say 94 to 96. I was working back oh, and forth. Wow. I did the soap right out of NYU. Wow. I went from Long Island to boarding school in Connecticut and then to NYU and then immediately got on Another World um, after being on MTV. So it kind of just, everything kind of happened like an idiot. And I, it's, it's really one of the biggest regrets of my life that I came here and stayed here. Really? Because when I look at you and Annabella and Marissa and Debbie Mazar, like Debbie did her stint out here for a couple of years and then hightailed it back to Brooklyn. Yep. You know what it was after 9-11? I would fly in and out all the time. But after 9-11, I was like, I'm not flying back. Like I would fly in for two, three auditions and then go home. But I was out there after 9-11 for probably six years on and off. Um, but I just... I just never found my way there. I just never found my way there. I felt extremely lonely there. You know, it's just in New York, I think you go there almost as a misfit and you find family and your place and your belonging. Whether you're alone or not alone, you don't feel it because it's like the land of misfit toys and everybody kind of, you know, joins the one big family. And I love that sense of, you didn't have a choice but to be a community in New York. And I really enjoyed that where I didn't get that in Los Angeles. And then there was a whole other part of the business that I just was never good at. I wasn't good at like, you know, going to the parties, going to the events, showing up, you know, I just was never good at it. And I felt like, always felt like I, I belonged more in New York. So after a while I was like, okay, I, I have to go home. 
that's your sensibility. And that's what I respect about you and love about you is that you stayed with that and you didn't, you didn't force it. Like I kind of felt like I forced it because I was supposed to be here. Luckily enough for me, a couple of the girls and guys that I did another world with kind of followed to LA. So we kind of had our own little Mm -hmm. group out here, but I found LA, listen, I am not, I'm in bed by eight o'clock at night. Yeah, I am not a party girl. I've never been like, I really don't want to be on a red carpet. I'd rather be on my bathtub carpet. Exactly. It's just, I I hear you. I got, I I always say I'd rather be told to go fuck off in New York than to be asked for lunch in LA. I, that is, I think you need to put that on a shirt. I'm, you can make big money with that because that was the other thing that I couldn't really grapple with. And I'm going to go back to what you said about like, I kept that sensibility. Yes and no. And I battle with it. I think we came up in a time when, you know, when Summer Sam came out, I caught a a lot of attention because of the role and because I was so raw who I was and that role met me there. And I just came out of school and I was like on fire. But all of the real roughness of how I grew up, where I grew up was very, very primal. And I kind of exploded after that. But what I realized is what happens is that quality that they liked, then they'd start to try and simmer it down. And at that time, you know, Julia Roberts was the icon. I was not Julia Roberts. I was not any of the, that kind of girl next door kind. So it was, I did spend many, many, many years trying to fit my size nine foot to a size six. So yeah, I, 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 I think I went home to save myself, to save my, my mind actually, but still it, it, like I said, it, I, you know, you try to conform because that's what you're, you want to work. And we're also born and raised in New York, American Italian homes, where we were taught that that's what you were supposed to do. We're, we're like born as pleasers. For me, I feel like I stopped wanting to please people once I turned wow. 48, which is, what, mm-hmm. which is the age that my dad finally died. And I say finally, cause it took him 10 years, but really at 48, which is when I finally said, you know what, I'm, I'm married. I own a home. I got three kids. I have a car, a dog I'm on the fence about, but you know what? I did this. Right. Right. I, I, I made this. Mm-hmm. So clearly I know somewhat of what I'm doing. And I don't yeah. think I need to say yes to you. when what I really mean is dear God, no. Oh, I, you know, I battle, we still, I still battle with this and it's what I should be doing what, but I think again, I, cause I have a lot of younger friends that I started to become very close with like young, late twenties, 30 and their females, their sensibility of that generation is just different. I was raised to work. You work, you get a job and you work. I've had a job since I was 13 years old. Like you work, you, life isn't fair. You work, you get a job that you don't like it. No one likes their job and you do it. So I grew up thinking, okay, you do it. And these younger girls that I know that are filmmakers and that are artists, 
they are very clear to say what they will and will not do. And it's honestly that they, they inspire me all the time because I think, you know, we did grow up as pleasers. We absolutely did. And, and especially the Italian community that we came from, it's very much, you know, you got to suffer and struggle and the guilt and it's all of it. It's all of it. So I, you know, it's a lot to get around. But it does come, I think, with, like you said, with age. I'm finally learning to go, no, that's, that's not what I want to do. That's not, and that's okay. It's a, it's, a, it's a struggle for sure. It is, but you've done it with such grace. I oh, mean, God love you. Every role that you actually worked with an old friend of mine, uh, mm. Nick Chinland, in a brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ages ago. Ages God. ago. You did that in 1997. Mm-hmm. And you have really done some interesting roles and you've kept true to who you are. Mm. I never once, and, and I've done my research, I've never seen you do anything that was not authentically Jennifer. I, I, I appreciate that, but I, I have to tell you, to be honest, I feel like Summer of Sam, and I could name maybe three or four others where I could say, I actually even touched upon what I felt what I know I'm capable of. The other stuff, always grateful to have a job. But you see, even me saying that is such a fucking thing of like, you always gotta be grateful. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not grateful sometimes for, for the stuff that I get pushed into, but you, I needed to make a living as well. I mean, I've always taken what, I, I, you know, what I've, I've decided to take on and try and do my best, absolutely. But I can't say I even, I I had a real horrible thing happen after Summer of Sam that I really, I I really never talked about publicly here and there, but a huge producer like kind of put his foot into my career and literally shifted the whole trajectory of my life and my career. And it was devastating beyond words, like devastating. Like he, and he did it because he, just could. And it was, you know, the abuse of power we speak about today that just is endless. And back then it was even more endless. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I never recovered from that. You know, it took me years of really stop complaining because I, I'm not into people that will complain about something but not do anything about it. Like I have a real problem, like that's a pet peeve of mine. I'm not this like, hey, just be positive person, but like, let's take action. Right. So I realized that that was me, but I kept saying, but how do you fight a system? How do you fight a system? You don't, these people keep winning. Like how, the person that did that is still a huge producer. He won. And I I had to look at myself at at one point and say, but you're saying you can do so much more, do it, do it or shut up and stop complaining. And so I have literally been endlessly working on something on a, on a feature that I wrote and I'm going to be directing this summer and I'm in, I've raised the money and no one is taking it from me. And it's finally something that I gave to myself and said, this is only for you. I don't care who likes it, who doesn't like it, it's mine. So that was the only way I felt like I finally shifted out of this place of being a victim. 
because I don't agree with that. I don't I never did, but I felt stuck. You know, again, we're not in the days when you and I came up. We had no choice. Today, there's choices. And that's due to some of my young film filmmaker friends. They all make do their own stuff. So um, it was inspiring. But really what you're also talking about is we grew up in the age of we did what our fathers told us to do. Mm -hmm. And also when it came to our health. And this is, I know, is a big, a big thing for you. I had an ulcer when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. I have had issues. I've had IBS my entire life. I, I so related to your journey. You, you left Blue Bloods mm -hmm. in, uh, in the third season. Mm -hmm. Then you were diagnosed. You launched the bakery. You I wrote diagnosed before then. But you took action and you became your own health advocate, which is mm -hmm. something that is really important. Growing up with a father who was, you know, dying for the majority of my, my memory of him, mm -hmm. I learned how doctors treat the disease, but not the patient. 100%. They don't treat the family at all. Oh, no, no. Um, and so my brother and I were left to pretty much, you know, walk the halls of neglect because there was nobody there to talk to us about what was going on with my father. And mm -hmm. I learned then that doctors are like plumbers or electricians. They mm -hmm. are the plumbing and the wiring for our bodies and should be treated not as God. Absolutely that not. we revere, but people who are there to help us fine tune our systems. Mm -hmm. I watched you do a couple of interviews and you talk about that, that we mm -hmm. have to go into our doctor's offices and here's a question one, question two, question three. And if you can't answer it, I'm out. Mm -hmm. So well, you've been advocating not only for yourself and your career, but advocating for your own health. Yeah. Everybody was telling you, like they told me, you're crazy. Mm -hmm. Oh, you were sent away from home too soon. Oh, you're just stressed. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's this, it's that. It's, it's mm -hmm. everything other than can we really look at the cause and not mm -hmm. the symptom? 100%. I mean, that journey for me was, I mean, since I was a kid like you, I had issues, stomach. and But what mine really went into was panic disorder. At a kid, I had anxiety. But anxiety attacks Mm -hmm. But when I got older, they turned into panic. I mean, the journey is so long. I went to doctor after doctor after doctor. And it wasn't until I was in my early 30s and I was working that I was so ill. And I, I mean, through the years, I really don't know, even know how I, I got through so much. You know what it is? I saw my mother have a lot of tricks up her sleeve of feeling better. And I just assumed, I would always hear, we're sensitive, we're sensitive. Like, no, nah, no, not really. But that's what I went on. And I was just so used to not feeling well that it was normal. So I really didn't know anything else, but I knew enough to know that the, when it got extreme, that it wasn't right. So I was on a set of, um, I think it was Samantha Who, and um, literally my tooth fell out of my mouth. And, and I had been going to doctors religiously. I had tried everything under the sun from witch doctors, like to prayer hands to, you know, the most expensive specialist you can find. I went to everyone. I was either told I was a hypochondriac, I was crazy, female, being a female and an actress, forget it. It was like, oh, you're, you know, you're nuts, you're this, you're that. Finally, when that happened, 
it was still a journey, but I finally got a diagnosis of celiac disease. But at the time, the doctor was like, you're so ill. Like, I don't know how no one picked up on this because silly, your celiac disease is the worst I've ever seen. And then I was sent to a specialist. They wanted, they studied me like I was in a Petri dish. And I remember getting off gluten and starting to read about it because I was so happy someone gave me something tangible. Sure. So I started researching. And that's one thing about me, like I have to understand. So I started doing all my due diligence and try to really understand what was going on. And I actually even wound up in a psych ward for a while because for, for a day, but that day felt like an eternity and actually changed my life. Cause I was, while I was in there, cause I had such severe panic while I was in there telling them like, this is not my brain. This is not my mind. I'm not well. And I remember seeing someone like literally in shackles and he looked just gone. And I kept saying in that day, like I have celiac disease and they're like, listen, calm down, just eat some food. And the food was like pigs in a blanket and, you know, fruit in the sugar water. And I'm like, I can't have any of this. Like, don't you understand? No one understood what celiac was back then, nor did they care because there's no medication they could sell you. That's a whole other story. And I remember thinking, looking at this person who was gone, like literally gone. And I thought, if I ever make it out of here, because I said, these people keep me here, I'm done for. I'm done for. When you're having panic attacks and someone wants to pin you down even further, forget it. I thought, if I ever get out of here, I have to do something. I have to do something. And I wind up getting out. And I remember the world looked different. It just looked different. It finally, it made sense to me finally that no one was coming to save me. If I called 911, they were not going to help me because I've been asking for help for years and no one was coming to save me. And I thought, Jennifer, you want to survive? You better figure this out. And the next day I got up and I mean, I had neuropathy over the whole left side of my body. I was having panic attacks, like secular panic attacks. I would like sleep and and stay in my kitchen because it was the only room in the house without light coming in because the the I would my nervous system was so shot that the sensitivity to light was too much because when you have celiac disease, so your audience knows is you get um, your gut basically is you're not absorbing anything. So the nutrients I wasn't absorbing to stay alive was like for years and years and years. So what happens for your body to exist, it feeds off of itself. And it it takes vitamins from the bones and it takes vitamins from the nervous system. And that's where I was getting hit really bad. So I was bad and it took about a year for me to kind of get on the other side of that. And then there's, you know, it's still a journey, but in that journey, I, you know, was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to figure it out. And I, I, I love food. And I, I was like, I can't live with all of these no's. How do you live like this? And realizing that, you know, it wasn't only about the food, but it was like birthdays and dates and holidays. And I just thought, this is no way to live. And I started playing around with food. I developed all these recipes. I took my own money and opened a bakery because I figured I can get them in with the idea of giving them something they can eat that won't kill them. But then I can educate. I mean, I used to have people walk in crying 
because they finally feel like someone heard them because mm -hmm. the amount of people, women who lost, had like eight, 10 miscarriages that nobody, nobody knows that it's actually so closely uh, connected to celiac disease. And, you know, they would get an IVF and all this stuff. People who thought they had MS, they thought I had MS at one point and they take gluten and dairy and, you know, it takes time, but they're walking again. Like, their kids bringing their kids and never had a cookie. Little girls getting girl getting transfusion like it sick. These these people were sick, and they were coming to an actress's bakery to be heard. And I I thought this is fucking horrible. This is awful. And I I I baked. I mean, people would really be shocked when I was actually at the counter. Like, hey it's 5.50 and they'd be like, really? You're really here? I was like, yes, I'm really here. It was also at a time when I felt like a lot of the illness had come from, uh, was exasperated because of stress from the business. So I took a break and I, and I was a baker and I ran a bakery and I was with the people and I had a big like teamster kind of guy come in and lean on the counter and like big tough guy like started to cry. He was like, I read your book and like all the back aches I've had and they're telling me it's this and it's that. And the other thing, I had celiac disease. And I know this because of you. You can't, you know, nothing could take away that experience. It was something that I'll be eternally proud of, but I don't even like feel like it's proud. I just feel like, isn't that what we're supposed to do here? Well, yes, but that's, see, this is the very essence of this podcast is that you, during the most despairing time of your life, both physically and spiritually, and you know, with all the panic and the anxiety, you, you were able to have the wherewithal to pull yourself up and go, okay, not only how can I help myself, but how can I help other people? Mm -hmm. Because I think only in helping other people do we actually heal. 1,000%. The bakery was wonderful for people, but it was also wonderful for me. Absolutely. That was your, yeah, that was like your therapy. That was your 100%. You know, when, when I was at NYU, my, and my dad was beginning his decline, I started to have severe attacks mm -hmm. to the point that if I had an attack with you, I would never see you again. It was, I like totally understand that. I totally dead. understand that. I would count my steps to philosophy 101. If I was one step off or somebody was sitting in my chair, I went back to my apartment. I, totally I lived on bagels and cranberry juice crazy, huh? That was it. And I finally realized after my father died that the mind is a very sophisticated mechanism. When it's not listening to the body, the body does all sorts of stuff to get its attention. It's well, like, I, if you're yeah. not going to listen to the migraine, now I'm going to give you a stomachache. You're not going to listen to that. Now I'm going to have your period last 40 days. Mm -hmm. It's like biblical. You're not going to mm -hmm. listen to that. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to do this. I'm going to make you panic. But I will tell you, there is, because once I got into this, I really started studying. I, I spoke, you know, conferences and all this, yeah. but there really is a physical component to what you're saying. I used to say it like this to make people understand the gut is the queen of the castle. If the queen is angry, she will take down the kingdom. And that is the truth. So 80, I think it's 80 to 85% of serotonin lies in your gut. Your gut is in charge of your mood, your mind. So 
it's no coincidence that I do not have panic attacks anymore at all, at all. If I'm not sleeping right, not taking care of myself right, not eating right. And by me not eating right, it's like, you know, eating some grain or something. It's not eating gluten ever because I'm in the hospital if I do that. But it is not a coincidence that I don't get, I don't have them anymore. It's, it's, I healed my gut and yes. anybody, and it kills me because we are very vocal now about mental health, which I think is fantastic, but I never hear anybody talk about the connection, mental health and what you're eating and your gut health. I never hear it once in a blue moon, but like, you know, celebrities and all that, that come forward. And I think it's wonderful because I think we need to speak about it. The quality of what you're eating, the quality of food in our country, the quality of what you believe is good food is all askew. And if we don't look at that, you're really doing people a disservice, especially people who are suffering with, with mental, mental health. I have periods where I don't have any symptoms and then there'll be a period where I have terrible symptoms. Mm -hmm. But I shot a series in old Montreal mm -hmm. two years ago didn't have one issue. Crazy. Food there is so much cleaner. Yep. And the water, I mean, everything is so much cleaner. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed at that. Mm -hmm. And then just to, to, to piggyback on what you just said, I just drove my eldest child to college this past August. Now I didn't have really a symptom. That day I had a seven hour panic attack Wow. And literally bought Depends and wipes to have in my truck. I hear you. In case I had to go to the bathroom and during you. COVID, nothing was open. I told my you. stomach and my head. I connected. Mean, connected. There's no doubt. Totally connected. Any, anybody who comes to me, because I still talk to people. I had a phone call today from someone who knows they have celiac disease and literally is like, but I only ate a little bit of chicken with some breading and some flour. It's like, you don't do this halfway. There's no halfway with this. You have to do it or don't do it. And know that down the road is not gonna be kind because this disease, anything, forget celiac disease, your gut being unhealed and being off the way most people, you wonder why people have Alzheimer's, dementia, that it all stems from a lack of nutrients to the brain, a lack of vitamin D. It, it, it kills me because he, like he said to me today, he said, you know, I can't believe that food would have such an effect on me. And it's like, and this makes me so sad. And I understand that if I was in the middle of one of my insane panic attacks, which if anyone knows they, they've had them, then you understand. You would rather, you'd give up anything not to have them. Okay. And if, if you told me in the middle of that crazy, insane panic attack, just change the way you're eating and you're going to feel better. I would tell them to go to hell. Like that, that's not, it just, it seems, it seems wrong. It seems not possible, but it, like I say, I always give myself as an example. I was agoraphobic at one point. I could not leave my home. I couldn't drive. I couldn't drive through the tunnel. I couldn't leave. I used to wear a band on my wrist to snap me back into reality. I used to play all these games with my breathing and my, and my thoughts. It's called cognitive therapy, just to get my brain to get off that page. But everything changed. I don't do that shit anymore. And, 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 and what? I, I've traveled the world by myself. 
Why? Because I healed my gut. There's no other reasoning for it. There's none. It's not that I've had this spiritual awakening or I've had, you know, tons of therapy that I've somehow healed childhood traumas. That's not it. It was the gut. Like you said, the body will keep giving you signs. It's mm -hmm. whether you're choosing to see and listen to the signs your body's giving you. And most people, they don't, sadly. And you go to the doctor and they don't really do it either. So where are you left? It's really fascinating. Because I have now a problem driving on highways. I get it. And my girlfriend, she's trying to teach me how to knit to relax me. No, it makes me insane. I understand. So I'm like, what? My husband's like, why are you going to have a panic attack over knitting now? Right. <laughs> I'm trying to make a scarf. And now it's like I drop a stitch in the whole world. It's like, what else? No, I know. I need no. to paint by numbers. That's paint easy. by numbers, anything, anything. It was wonderful to have an outlet. Actually, that's how the cooking started for me and the baking. It was just an outlet to focus my energy and focus creative energy, but also focus the frustration, all the, everything I was feeling in my body. And, and I would just bake. And this was a release for me. So it is a great thing, but I'm sure. No. You know what you should do? You should, I tell this to people again all the time. A lot of doctors, when you go and you say, I want to be tested for allergies, they test you for an anaphylactic reaction. You need to be tested. What are the things you're allergic to in the gut? It's a completely different test. It's called an IgG blood test, it's not IgI. It's not an immediate response. It's what your gut is allergic to. And I bet you thousands of dollars that you will come back with things that you had no idea you were allergic to. And it doesn't mean you can't have them forever. It means that you, my doctor who helped me a great deal, this guy, uh, Dr. Fratalone, he told me about rotating. You, you cannot, like if you're going to have almond milk every day, you're going to set yourself up, especially if you have a gut that is in that process of like lingering between healing and not healing. And if you're really on the deep end, you have to rotate what you're eating every day. So your body keeps, it keeps changing it up. Your body doesn't get used to something and you causes an allergy to it. It's, it's helped me immensely. See, that's interesting you say that because whenever I travel by myself for work, I'm always, I always have to see what the menu is. I have to get what, you know, a piece of chicken breast plain. If I don't get sick within an hour, that will be the only thing I eat for the whole entire time I'm there. I understand. It's crazy. Talk. No, it's, it's, it's not because we, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, listen to the body, like I said, but that's what you think. You think, oh, okay, this works. So I'm going to do that. I did the same thing for years, but it's, it's, it's once you heal the gut, really yeah. heal it. And like, I'm, I've been talking to someone else and I've been trying to get her through this process and it's very hard. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's not. And she has kids. You know, I, I don't have children. So I didn't have that extra burden of trying to cook for a family and cook for someone else and cook. You know, I always say to people who have children, this is a lifestyle. Like she'd be making mac and cheese for her kid, but she's eating plain chicken. I said, this is going to fail. This is a whole family's experience. And your kids will thank you later because they're not going to grow up with the same shit. I promise you. And Remember, I had a bakery. I make my own bread. I make cookies. I have a cookie right here on the plate that I am eating. We're so taught to believe that a, a cookie or a bagel or a piece of cake needs to be made with sugar and flour, and it doesn't. It could be. It could be. Um, it's a, it's all about the way you look at it. You have to take the things that you can eat that process in the body positively and take those ingredients, and you can still make them into great, delicious things. It's just 
rethinking your food is what I always say. Just rethink it. You know, I tell people like this guy today, I said, yes, it's dairy. Cause you're like, I had a little piece of chicken and then a cheesecake. I was like, cheesecake, you can't have dairy. No. And he was like, but what? I said, there's beautiful cheesecakes out there nowadays that don't have nothing to do with dairy. Nothing. And you could still make bread of chicken. I get it. You want a chicken cutlet. I completely understand you. I make them. You can do it. It's using gluten-free flour and a gluten-free breadcrumb. You could still do it. It's all about changing your perception. So on July 4th, you had a beautiful Instagram post where you talked about the blacklist and how you got a 7.2 on your script and how everybody told you, you're not going to be able to do this. Or they falsely support you. Like you go, Jen, in the meantime, they're going, you know. 1,000%. They give you, you know, the wink. Like, yeah, okay, let's see what you do. When you do it, that's when they climb on the bandwagon. Oh, please. I say it all the time. I said, I know you love me when everyone else loves me. I get it. Is no more. I'll show no. you. I, I, I'm so deeply proud of where I've come to be able to do what I'm doing and write and, and know. I feel like I've already won. I don't need anybody to tell me anything anymore. And that's freedom. And that's the spirit of this show. That's what I want to tell people is that you don't need permission. No, you don't need forgiveness. No, just need to walk it and believe it and do it. You know, 100%. I tell my kids, it doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get back up. 100%. That's what matters. And I was so proud of you in that moment and your face, you looked so relaxed because you, you did it and you didn't do it for anybody else, but for you. 100%. 100%. And, and I'm honestly shooting the movie for me. I, and I have wonderful producers and I'm thrilled and, and it's not a selfish thing. And it'd be fine if it was. I just want to give myself back a piece of my life and career that I feel was taken and just do it for me to be able to, it's a really personal script and a really something I feel very deeply about, about how women, all women, all walks of life, all types, all generations, how women's voices still in this very day are not really allowed to fully speak. And that's just the truth. We're not still, we're just, things are changing, but are we there? No, I don't think so. And I just feel like what I'm doing and saying in this film is very much speaks to that in a very personal manner of kind of how, where I grew up and I love it with everything I own. I absolutely love it. I remember I, I met with a um, big executive at Netflix and I remember walking in with uh, my manager at the time and she was like, you're so happy. Like we didn't meet them yet. They didn't say anything. I was like, I already won. I already won, I'm here. I did it, I finished it. No one. It's funny because I, I get calls every now and then from like my sales agent or my producer and they're like, oh, so-and-so was like so moved and loved it. And they asked me three times, Jennifer Esposito wrote this? Yeah, I know you have absolutely no clue. And you put me in a box a long time ago. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not mad at you. That's the way the world works. And that's especially the way the business works. I have no ill will towards anyone but I'm choosing to open the box. I don't need anyone to come and open it. I'm gonna do it. 
because you're only in that box if you keep yourself in that box. And I did for years. People think they know you. Oh, people think they know Especially me for some reason. They think they got me pegged. It's like, you don't they know your number, sister. They don't. Yeah, they don't know. Everybody thinks they know exactly what we're capable of, what's in our wheelhouse, because they think everything that they've seen, that's all that there is. Of course. It's like, I can do more than what you think. I can direct. I can write. Just because you think you've seen what I have done doesn't mean that's all I can do. So I was told once, and I was a young actress, and I think I was always kind of fighting the tide because even before all of this came where, you know, women should be paid equally and women shouldn't be treated certain ways. I was like, hey, this doesn't feel right. I sh- this isn't right. And, you know, being Italian and New York and then saying anything it, other than smiling is like, I just, it was like, like I said, it's size nines trying to fit into a size six. I remember uh, a new manager. She was my new manager. And she said to me, she sat me down and she said, listen, I just, I want to tell you, like, you need to be more likable, like Cameron Diaz. (laughs) I swear I was just like, what? Like, I I was so confused. I was like, wow, (laughs) I I, I didn't know. And and as, as strong as I may be, I'm also the most sensitive human being. I'm like a sponge. I absorb everything. So of course I tried, but I'm not her. I, I, she's a very nice lady, but like, I'm not her. And I, and this was a person who was representing me. It's just, like I said, though, back then we didn't have much choice. Now you can go out and make your own short. Now I can figure out how to get the money to make my own film. It's a different thing. It's a different thing, thankfully. Well, I'm just so grateful for you to, to spend this time with me today. You've, you, you're the paradigm of, what, of why I made this podcast. Awesome. Because- I, I think it's great that you're doing this because I think, like I said to you in the beginning, I really feel like there's this surge of like, you know, the, the phrase women helping women and I can't say we're there yet. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. I just think we're so used to there only being not even a chair, a half of a chair at the table that they've just, they've pitted us against each other for so, so long. It's going to take some time to undo. So I just feel like you have to put this out there. You have to tell, tell the younger women coming up, tell the women our age, older, that, you know, you, you can do whatever you want to do in whatever realm you're thinking. It all depends on how you feel about you. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. And I also have have been interviewing men because I don't think being a strat bitch is, I think it's genderless. I'm in. People are incredibly resilient. That's the story that I'm interested in hearing and telling and sharing because there's so much hardness out there. I agree. There's, it's all, it's all too much. We all rise to the top, then we all win. Well, that's what I meant. That's what I meant when like, you know, you asked me to do this. Yes. Supporting someone else happened to be a female, but it is, it's about the human spirit. And I think, you know, like you said, a lot of things are harsh out there and it's also set up for most to fail. So to see people, the human spirit keep going, it's, we need more of it. 
I know, we really do. You just said it all. I mean, in this past 50 minutes, you've gone from being born in Brooklyn to a rough childhood in Staten Island to that son of Sam role, to having the panic attacks, to being ill the whole entire time, to opening up a bakery, to writing a book, to now you're going to be writing, directing, and executive producing and starring in your own movie. So look at that arc. And in between there, you were knocked down, I'm sure, more than 100 times. A million. Like daily. Daily. And still comes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still comes. The hits keep coming all the time. 100%. 100%. It's just, you know, it's how you choose, like you said, to get back up. And my mom would say, well, my God, you just keep getting back up. I said, I feel like a boxer that is bleeding on the mat and like everybody saying, just stay down, <laughs> please just stay down. And I don't know why I keep getting back up. I just, I have, I, I don't know if it's being naive or again, a spirit that believes in justice, believes in can do more, can do better, can be more. I just believe that there's better. I believe the world could be better. I think you know, I think I could be better. I think we can give more. I just think there's more. I don't want to stay down. 